Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray and holy manner will be showered all around. Holy manner all around. Brethren, see poor sinners round you trembling on the brink of woe. Death is coming, hell is moving, can you bear to let them go? See our fathers, see our mothers, and our children sinking down. Brethren, pray, and holy manna will be showered all around. Holy manna. Seeking grace and filled with fears. Is there here a weeping Mary? Pouring forth a flood of Sisters, let your prayers abound. Pray, oh, pray that holy manna may be scattered all around. Holy manna. happy to be with you for this worship service. We hope it will bring to you the encouragement and the strength that you'll need for this coming week. Here now is my father with the special message from God's Word. Repentance and conversion. Necessary. One afternoon, soon after the day of Pentecost, the apostles Peter and John attended a prayer service at the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. As they started to go through the gate called Beautiful, 
He saw a lame man lying there who had never walked in his life. His family brought him every day, laid him there at the gate, hoping he might receive some little gift from the worshipers. The man looked at the apostles, asked an alms. It was customary for those who attended the temple to give to the service of God or to the poor or to both. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him uh, with John, said, Look on us. When Peter said, Look on us, the lame man did so. He was expecting to receive something. Then the apostle added, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he lifted him up. Immediately he received strength. Soon he walked, entered into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. How happy he was. When the people saw it, they were all filled with wonder. They ran together, an excited crowd, amazed at this display of divine power. They gazed with astonishment upon the apostles, as if they, by their own power, had performed this miracle. It was a public event. All the people round about learned of it. So the crowd grew rapidly. The apostle Peter took advantage of the audience, declared that this miracle had been accomplished through Jesus, the Prince of Life, whom these very people had delivered up to be crucified and whom God had raised from the dead. It was through his name that this lame man had been made whole. It was through his power that he was able to leap and walk and try out his newfound strength. The apostle assured his listeners that although it was a terrible sin to put to death the prince of life, their sin was not unpardonable. They were not to despair. Though they had put the Son of God to death, the apostle comforted them by saying, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Third chapter of Acts, 19th verse, beginning. Notice the successive steps which must be taken to reach the kingdom of God. First, repentance. Then conversion, the blotting out of sins. The times of refreshing, the appearance of Christ Jesus, and last, the restitution of all things. While man here in his physical life is a unit, yet according to Scripture he possesses a threefold nature, spirit, soul, body. In this all-wise arrangement of the divine Creator, it's necessary to nourish all three of these natures, or they will not properly develop and live. To sustain the physical nature, we must have proper elements of nourishment. Not only water and air, but food, grains, nuts, vegetables, etc. That's what God planned in the beginning. Dependent upon the physical nature of man, but superior to it is his mental nature, his intelligence. Psychology, the youngest of the sciences, is just beginning to discover some of the wonders of man's mind. There would be no civilization on earth, no planning, no building, no planting. Nothing would be done without a mental life, without intelligence. And so... Man must sustain by reading, by study, by proper association. These things are all food for the intellect, the beauties of philosophy, the accomplishments of science, the modern exploration of the voids of space. But beyond and above the physical and mental natures of man is the spiritual, which can thrive only on spiritual things. Its food is the Word of God and the instruction of the Holy Spirit. One reason why so much of the spiritual life of today is shallow, undeveloped, is that people do not feed on the Holy Scriptures. They neglect prayer. Do not exercise Christian faith. Sin has blackened and blighted mankind in every phase of life. The nature of man has been darkened spiritually, marred mentally, lowered physically. 
in order to remove this stain, God has ordained that man should repent, be converted, their sins blotted out. There should be a great spiritual refreshing from heaven that when Christ, the Son of Man, returns to this earth in power, there should be a restitution of all things as in the Eden day of man's beginning. How do we repent? What does it mean? We repent first by manifesting a godly sorrow for our sins. We must really be convicted that we have done wrong. Not only regret, but know and feel that we have sinned against God and against man, that we have transgressed the holy law of heaven. Second, we must confess these sins to God, whose law we have transgressed, for sin is the transgression of the law, we read in 1 John 3, 4. And further, we must confess our faults to any person who has knowingly been wronged by us. So we see that repentance means a real sorrow for sin, not merely a sorrow for the evil results to us, but sorrow for the thing itself, sorrow that we have grieved the heart of God by disobeying him. And we must have an earnest desire to be cleansed from sin. Repentance is the fruit of saving faith. It comes as a result of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the heart. In fact, it is the gift of God, for it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance, we read in Romans 2, 4. The Apostle Peter declared that God exalted Jesus with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance and forgiveness of sins, Acts 5.31. What we need for a new life today is repentance. We need to repent and do the first works, as we read in Revelation 2.5. We need a real repentance, and the only way we can tell that our repentance is real is when we bring forth fruits proper for repentance, Matthew 3.8. It means a change of life. Tennyson said that few of us repent because few of us are willing to make a radical change in our habits of living. He expressed it this way, The world will not believe a man repents. This wise world of ours is mainly right. Full seldom doth a man repent or use both grace and will to pick the vicious quitch of blood and custom wholly out of him and make all clean and plant himself afresh. That's it. That's what we need, planting ourselves afresh, true repentance, changing from the old life to the new, from our sin to God's righteousness, and all through faith in Christ. Jesus said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 5. Now, friends, the evidences of genuine repentance are true humility, faith, prayer, obedience. Men are not led to repentance by threatenings, but by presenting the willingness of Christ to save. And the love of God is revealed in the Savior, giving his life on Calvary's cross for a lost and hateful man. Jesus loves us all. He loves you, my friend, whoever you are. And his love is held out to you even when you are unlovely and rebellious and sinful, wicked and vile. So the apostle Paul commands, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 3.19. To be converted means to turn around, to go in the opposite direction, to be changed. In the Bible sense, it means to turn from a state of sin to a condition of righteousness, to turn to God through Christ, believing that through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ your sins will be blotted out. Our part is to believe on the Lord Jesus, Acts 11.21. We are to exercise our faith in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. Then God works a miracle in the soul. We are born again, not by the will of man, but by the word of God. We are changed, converted, become the sons of God through faith. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1, 12 and 13. This is all by the mighty power of God, not by our power. God, who can create a world from nothing, can make a saint out of a sinner. No matter who you are, he can take you and change you. You have infinite possibilities, not only for joy and hope in this life, but for happiness beyond our telling and life in the world to come. God works a change in clay, and man finds a lovely amethyst. He does it with black carbon, and the miner discovers a glorious diamond. How? We don't know. How does God take the worst of men and make them into Christians? How does he take juvenile delinquents and adult delinquents and make them into dependable and earnest, faithful people? We don't know, but he does it. They are born again, as the Scripture says. They are changed. They repent of their sins. They are converted. Do you want this to happen to you? Then tell God so. There is nothing God cannot do with you if you're willing to be changed. It's no secret what God can do, as the song has it. If you repent and give your heart to Christ, your sins will be blotted out, and the refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. The mighty power of the Holy Spirit will touch and change your life and make it what it ought to be. The harvest will be ripened and prepared for the day of our Lord's return. For unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We read in Hebrews 9, verse 28. Then the great restitution will come. God will have a new world, a new race, a new home for his people, labor for pleasure. There will be no death. There will be no sorrow and no sin and no war. God's heaven will be your home, and the paradise restored in the earth made new will be your inheritance. It is real, it is definite, it is certain, just as certain as God's word is true. Why not turn your face toward the cross of Christ, receiving his salvation by faith, and look forward to the restitution of all these things in God's new world? Do not put it off. This, friend, is your opportunity, and today is the time. You may have heard these truths for years. Maybe your mother was a Christian, your father, some friend. Why not follow in the way of righteousness now? Remember, friends, repentance is individual. It's personal. We must repent of our sins, not someone else's. A criminal finds it easier to lose himself in a big crowd. A fugitive from justice rarely flees to the solitude of the countryside, but to some great city. He escapes from justice in the teeming multitudes of the metropolis. Isn't it something like that with us and our sins? Do we not sometimes hope that our individual guilt will be absorbed, undetected by the crowd, that God will look at the crowd and not at us? As James Hastings reminds us, 
we may sometimes seem to lose the sense of our personal responsibility when we join in our general confession, O Lord, we have erred and strayed like lost sheep. There's no help in us. But friends, if we are ever to taste God's forgiveness, we cannot bury ourselves in the crowd in our confession. If we want the thrill of joy that comes with the grace of assurance, thy sins which are many are all forgiven. We must come out of the crowd and cast ourselves down individually before God. David cried, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. That's Psalm 32. And David did just that in all the terrible isolation of his guilt, and it was great. Then and there he found a blessing and declared, Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. God be merciful to me, a sinner, sobbed the poor publican as he beat upon his breast in the agony of a great conviction. And when he came to that place of self-condemnation where he could say, I have sinned, he found the blessing. Jesus said that he went down to his house justified. Read about it in the 18th chapter of Luke. When the prodigal son buried his face in his father's bosom and cried, Father, I have sinned, he too received the blessing. Read about that in the 15th chapter of Luke. Then the father could say this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that may be our experience also. could be our experience today if we confess our sins to God, if we forsake them, and if we turn to Christ as our Savior who died for our sins. In faith believing, we will receive God's forgiveness. Yes, we'll have God's forgiveness and something else, too, with it. That peace for which we long, for we were his wandering sheep. There were ninety and nine that safely lay In the shelter of the fold But one was out on the hills away Far off from the gates of gold Away on the mountains wild and bare Away from the tender shepherd's care Away from the tender shepherd's care Here thy ninety and nine Are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer One of mine has wandered away from me And although the road be Yeah. Mm -hmm.
sheep, and the angels say. 